Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Our guest today is a fascinating author. He's written <laughs> sci-fi, speculative. Uh, he has a background also in the tech industry. Carrie Neitz is an award-winning sci-fi author who has over a half dozen speculative novels in print, as well as a novella, several short stories, and a nonfiction book. Carrie's novel, A Star Curiously Singing, won the reader's favorite gold medal award for Christian science fiction and is notable for its dystopian cyberpunk vibe. It's often mentioned on best of lists and among his writings, his most talked about is a genre bending book entitled Amish Vampires in Space, which was mentioned on The Tonight Show and in the Washington Post Library Journal and Publishers Weekly. Uh, Newsweek called it a welcome departure from the typical Amish fair, which it sounds like from the title for sure. Uh, Carrie is a refugee from the software industry who spent more than a decade of his life flipping bits, first as one of the principal developers for the now mythical Fox software, and then at Microsoft. He's a husband, a father, a technophile, and a movie buff, and I am pleased and honored that uh, that you're joining me here today, Carrie. Thanks, Stephen. It's great to be here. Now, before, yeah, yeah, no problem. Now, before we started, you were saying, oh, my Amish book. Actually, you have a recent addition to your series. Yes. So tell us about that real quick. And then you said, oh, there's an interesting story behind Amish vampires in yes. space. So I want to hear that uh, that as well. So, yeah. Kind of a saga, really. Yeah, yeah. saga. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So, like, the, the most recent book, it's a trilogy. So uh -huh. most recent book is Amish Werewolves of Space. Uh -huh. And then the one before that would be Amish zombies from space. And then, um, er, yes. And then, uh, then Amish vampires so in space. The first yeah. One, so. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what led you to love Amish, the Amish uh, romance angle so much? Yeah. It's yeah. Well, it's not really, it's not really a romance. You right. Know, the, the um, so the, the backstory there is, uh, my publisher, I'm a sci-fi writer. My, my initial publisher was a company called March of Lord Press. It's now Enclave is now that publisher's name. You know, Steve Lobby, I think you know, you're familiar with him. He has, yeah. that's his, his company. So, um, but uh, yeah, March of Lord was known for science fiction and fantasy. And the owner at the time, a guy named Jeff Gerke, he would, frequent lots of writers conferences, you know, and where every other publisher was searching for Amish fiction, it seems, <laughs> you know, and so his joke was, you know, if was, uh, you know, the only Amish fiction that I'm looking for would be if, if it's something like Amish vampires in space, that was hmm. sort of his like joke, joke title he would give. And then um, a couple of years ago, he sent out 
this mock-up cover of what Amish vampires in space would look like, you know, and it had a couple of Amish folks. You could see a wooden casket in the background and, and then a viewport where you could see a, see that you were in space, that there was a planet in the background. Sure. Know? And, and uh, it was again, just kind of a joke. And we got to talking about it and I was like, you know, someone, someone should write that book. You know, I don't know, I don't know if it's me, but the cover, you know, the title alone, I think would intrigue people. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, I, I generally write straight up science fiction. And at the time I was working on this um, sort of cyber thriller uh, trilogy, I had, I had, I was in the middle of finishing that up. So I didn't think it was me that was going to write it, but then um, I got an idea about how, Amish might get into space and become vampires. And, <laughs> Perfect. And have it not, you know, not be campy. So I kind of straight up science fiction. So I started writing and I got about 30,000 words in and uh, I sent an email to Jeff. And I said, Hey, guess what I'm, guess what I'm doing. And when he got done laughing, he's, he said, well, you know, if it's any good, finish it up. If it's any good, I'll publish it. So, so, you know, hundred thousand words later i finished the book and sent it to him and he liked it and published it so, there you go wow how about yeah. that so yeah. um amish vampires in space and it was also featured on some tv shows and different um magazines and so on like that so that's that's fascinating now one of the things that's a little interesting to me is that publishers today seem like they want to know what a an author's brand is. They always yeah. want to ask, what's your brand? What's your genre? And so on like this. And to me, it's kind of like they want a box. They want to stick you yeah. in a box so that you're easier to market. Yeah. And, um, and my brain doesn't always think that way. It doesn't look like yours does. Yeah. A lot of authors that I know don't, they're like, oh, I write, you know, some mysteries and some thrillers and horror, whatever, sci-fi. And so What's your take on that whole brand um, idea? Do you try to write into a brand or do you just naturally write sci-fi and speculative? What's your, what's your thought on all that? Yeah. Um, the first book I had published by a different publisher was actually a nonfiction book. Um, as you mentioned, I, I started out in the software industry. And so my first book was actually a little memoir of four years of my life in that industry. You know, I worked for this small company and just had a lot of interesting personalities. Um, right off, like about three months after I started there, we got, as a college kid, mind you, out of, right out of college, we got sued by this much larger company that was trying to put us out of business. Hmm. You know, so it was sort of a, it's a saga, you know, plus my boss is a bit of a bully, you know, he's hmm. pretty good at technical stuff, but wasn't really great at managing people, you know, so so there were instances where he might throw books or yell a lot. And, you know, so it was, you never knew quite what was going to, going to happen. So that was, that was like the first book I wrote. Um, but science fiction has always been sort of a love for me. Yeah. Even, it's the kind of movies I like to watch and, and, you know, a bit of a video game player and those are the type of video games I like to play. And so uh, speculative fiction has just always kind of been a love and, um, so I can't really imagine writing anything too off that off the beaten track path there, but um, but I do like a challenge. So like the Amish Vampire Buyers uh, book for me was really an interesting mental challenge. Like okay, how you know, would they get into space? How would this happen? How would they become vampires? 
from a sci-fi angle, you know, how yeah. so um I you know I just love the challenge of it. You know, I love I love writing, I love science fiction and and uh kind of whatever comes my way, I'm I'm ready to try. You know? So now when you're building um a science fiction story world, uh speculative, um so uh, one of the things that I find is usually pretty important in that realm is the setting is descriptions of, you know, the world that yes. is present and also the rules of that world. If gravity right. doesn't exist, okay, we'll accept that, but you right. better show us that gravity doesn't exist through the whole everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so what are some of the secrets that you've found over the years for building up that type of, of world or focusing in the settings in, in that realm? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I tend to focus on the characters and sort of what they see and what they know and what mm -hmm. they, they, they need to see. And the settings sort of flow from there. You know, I, um, yes, you might have to, some consistency problems you have to fix later, but generally that's worked for me. You know, I, mm. like you, I'm sort of an organic writer, you know, and I find myself sort of there, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how it is for you, but I usually start out with a few sort of ideas of, of, you know, scenarios and sort of what the rules are. Like my first science fiction book was about this, this debugger he was called and he so he's sort of like a computer technician of the future mm -hmm. and he had an implant in his head that that helped him connect to what he's working on like robots and big machines but also kind of harnessed his ability and that he could only some decisions he could not make you know mm -hmm. so it, it and and so for me that sort of set the tone it's like okay what is you know obviously there's there's robots and there's there's sort of a a class system going on here. He has a master and, you know, and so it all sort of fell into place from there and became immersive for me and hopefully for the audience too, you know? So enough that I guess I've written five books in that, that universe. So must've gotten something right. <laughs> so. Well, I like how you said the word immersive, and I think that's a good, um, you know, description, a good word to use for this, this type of story is that we yeah. want to escape in a sense uh, to a new place, but, but it has to be, and this is the uh, tricky part. I think it has to also be relatable enough that we can picture it and care yep. about the characters. Like you mentioned. Yeah. So as you develop your characters, are there any specific uh, things that you've done over the years that you say, this is um, this is a step to help readers really identify with or care about this character in the story. Hmm. Again, I, I think it goes back to sort of as a writer, putting yourself in the place of, of that character, you know, and how they relate to the world and what, you know, what come up with, um, you know, what was their background? What have they struggled with? You know, what, how do they relate to people? If they have insecurities, you know, where do those, where do those come from? Hmm. So, you know, I, I don't, again, it's, Again, pretty organic for me. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it's not something I've written down, but your brain, you sort of find a place in your brain where they, they seem to live for a while. Does that make sense? You no, know, I think 
No, I mean, I think so. You know, it's like. <laughs> I, I um, hope I'm not saying I have a split personality, but I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, one of the things I actually personally encourage, you know, authors to do is to don't ask so much, just what would the character do naturally do? But I mean, that's part of it, but ask yeah. what would this character do if I got out of the way? And so it's like a lot yeah, of us, okay. I think, right. Where we're kind of holding them back a little bit, maybe. Okay. Um, you know, we sort of have a leash on our characters around their neck or something. So I usually tell people, cut the leash, let them act without reservation, and then we'll see where it goes. And so, but people were like, yeah. but you're making up the character. How did, I'm like, I don't really look at it like that. Yeah, so. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to explain. Yeah. I, I totally understand and get what you're saying. And I would agree, would agree with that. In fact, some of the funnest characters for me to write are the characters that aren't art like me at all you know they're they're very you know i'm a more reserved character in general and they're they're like the most brash character who will say anything <laughs> you know if that makes sense yeah now so. have you created and okay so this is interesting i think to uh, a couple of things first uh of all have you ever had characters act in super surprising ways wherever you're re you're writing or something you're like i had no idea that this character was going to say or yeah. do this or whatever and then it takes your story into a place that you hadn't anticipated at all i know that characters yes yeah, sometimes say or do things i didn't quite expect uh-huh i think for me the surprises more come on the plot side mm. sometimes where like our, the third book book I wrote, which is like the, the capper of the star curiously singing trilogy. I wasn't really sure who the villain was until my main character walked into the room with him. You know, I knew it was building toward this, toward this confrontation between them, but I wasn't really sure who he was until he, my, my character Sandfly walked into the room with him and I was like, Oh, okay. And now it all makes sense. You know, it's like, oh, this fits perfectly. So somewhere in my subconscious, I might have known, but I'd never consciously thought about it at all. So I, that's the way it's been with me for a couple of my stories, wherever I didn't know kind of how it was going to end or I didn't know like exactly who the bad guy was till the very end. And then huh. I had like a cast of characters where I thought, oh, it could be one of these maybe, but but I didn't know. Right. Um, yeah. The the farthest along it ever got for me was I had a book that I was going to send in at one o'clock in the afternoon. And at 10 in the morning, I actually figured out the ending to it. So that was about the the closest I ever came to not having anything. But I was like, okay, I yeah. finally know how it's going to end now. I'm like, it's three hours before <laughs> I have okay, to send yeah. it in, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the ending uh. finally came to that one. But what about um, the bad guys? Like you just mentioned the um, antagonist of your story. Yeah. Um, do you uh, have fun writing those characters or um, is there any kind of memorable moments that you have when you were creating, you know, some antagonists that, uh, that you still, that still kind of come to mind? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, I know for me, like with Amish vampires, I thought the interesting conflict there was the fact that had the Amish on one side who were, you know, no violence or, you know, pacifists, they, you know, 
and anti-violence. And then you had vampires who were obviously not, you know, and, <laughs> and on the exact opposite side of the spectrum. So it, it was an interesting conflict for me in that, you know, how does, how, what, how would the Amish character, especially my main character, handle the fact that his own family is sort of in danger, you know, and, mm. and, uh, you know, so from vampires who really all they're out for is the next meal, right? And, and expanding their, their group. So I thought it was interesting and it, and it, it said a lot about kind of community and, um, you know, even, even why, military service is is an honorable thing you know hmm. in in many instances so i i yeah i uh yeah so conflict you know those conflicts i think are interesting i don't know if that really answers your question but that's the first thing that came to mind so <laughs> so yeah now um it's uh, yeah uh, one of the things that people usually uh say whenever they're teaching about writing and so on is that you need a good um conflict and i like how you kind of mentioned, so conflict for me, when I think of it, is just like basically stuff that goes wrong or stuff that gets in the way. And I think right. that, you know, um, what's a little bit more interesting for me is usually like dilemmas. And and that's kind of where you went with your, you know, answer was the yeah. idea of, okay, there's this contrast. There's this, not just conflict, you know, but you know, you have Amish who have one way of thinking and acting and so on. And then you have vampires, which are quite yeah. the opposite. Right. Not. Yeah. 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 And so finding those moral uh, dilemmas and quandaries, I think those usually lead us into, you know, interesting, interesting stories. Um, one of the things that you mentioned a little bit ago was this idea of character and plot, that the plot kind of um, opens up and and so I'm going to ask you. So there's an old, yeah. uh, basically, kind of question: yeah. is what's more important, character or plot? And I just recently reread uh, Aristotle's Poetics, and so okay. I know where Aristotle comes down on the question because he is very clear in what he feels is more important, plot or character. So I'm going to ask yeah. you, and then I'll tell you what Aristotle okay. thought. We'll see how uh, your um, <laughs> your perspective uh, measures yeah. up. I will say this, though, that I, I, dis I, I disagreed with him. I will say that much. Okay. That I don't, I don't agree I mean, with I, Aristotle. I, I, I tend to think they're both important. Um, but I do, I tend to think that characters are more important. Like, I just think that's what draws, you know, what draws readers in, you know, that somebody they can um, feel, feel a kinship with, you know, or whatever, and, and follow along. And uh, I just think it's interesting to see it through the character's eyes. You mm -hmm. know, what, what happens is interesting, but it's even more interesting if you can, and kind of go along with the character on that journey. So I, I tend to think character and characters tend to drive my stories. Like it, it's usually the character that I think of first and, you know, maybe a few things he's going to go through, but you know, it's, yeah, it's the character for me. Okay. I know about Aristotle. But... Well, Aristotle <laughs> and I disagree, but I agree with you. He said plot is okay. more important than character. Which is fascinating okay. to me, and um, you know, a lot of people today, 
I think we disagree. I think it seems like character for most writers is more important than the series of incidents or events. Uh, and so, yeah. So yeah, I, I think Aristotle was wrong, but, uh, but someday, you know, who, who knows, maybe they'll be saying the same thing, but I'm sure they'll be saying, no one's going to remember but me uh, in 3,000 yeah. 3, years anyway, but um, right. so what, hmm. what makes a story uh, so when we talk about stories, uh, speculative fiction is kind of a, a genre or whatever. What makes a story speculative or sci-fi? I know some people will mention like fantasy, mm -hmm. myth, science fiction as mm -hmm. speculative. In your perspective, yes. what kind of makes a story fall in that uh, in that realm? Yeah. Uh Usually, I mean, science fiction has sort of well-known tropes it uses, you know, mm. robots, and there are, there might be time travel, there might be, it usually takes place in the future, but not necessarily, um, there might be monsters, but not necessarily, you know, there the, uh, might even be superpowers, you know, it, it, there's just a lot of, it, it's one of those things that when many, many stories sort of dip into the sci-fi realm, even though they might not call themselves that, you know, it's, it's uh, the most science fiction is mostly known by the tropes it uses. You know? mm. Mm. I, I would, I would say so. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I was interviewing Orson Scott card on the show a number of months ago and he wrote, um, you know, of course, Ender's game and other, yes. yeah. you know, books in that, that genre. And, oh, yeah. okay. Well, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So um, enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's cool. I, you know, I appreciate that. Um, and so it was really interesting for me to kind of pick his brain a little bit about sci-fi because he's sure. one of the most, you know, well-known science fiction authors, um, I would say, probably alive today. And then I've talked to other, you know, well-known authors, some who write fantasy, actually mm -hmm. some suspense. And I've always, just to be, you know, kind of honest, I've always loved science fiction, both movies, television, yeah. Yeah. shows, stories, especially like short stories. I kind of grew up reading, you know, a lot of sci-fi short, uh, short fiction. Yeah. 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 yeah me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. And so I kind of have always had a, a you know, a sweet spot. And, and so, um, so a couple of years ago, I wrote, you know, my first sci-fi book and it was interesting, uh, challenging um, for me. Um, but I loved, I love to finally get the chance to, to write a story in that realm that I'd always been sort of a fan Syn of stories. Are you talking about, are you talking about Synapse? Yes. Yeah. yeah my book I'm, I'm Synapse. Reading it, I'm reading it now, actually. Oh, wow. That's great. Oh, yeah. Good. It. Good. I'm glad to hear that. You can take it for what it's worth, but as a <laughs> guy, you know, it, it, I'm enjoying it. And a lot of times when, you know, tech people get technical, Sometimes I will go, ah, it'll never happen. So sure, what, yeah. what it's worth, it's oh, my goodness. to me. So, and I'm Hey, that's so, fantastic. I super yeah. appreciate that very yeah, much. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, and I agree with you, you know, there are certain kind of tropes. There are certain things. Um, one of the things that I've always, I guess, liked about science fiction is it, it, it gives you sort of the opportunity to ask big questions. A lot of yes. science fiction stories 
yes. you know, have to do with human nature? What makes us human? What yeah. um, makes us different from machines? Could machines ever have a consciousness, uh, free will, a self-awareness and so on? And, yeah. you know, what, uh, what lies at the heart of human nature and all of these, which I've always liked, you know, stories that ask, you know, interesting questions. Have you ever in your um, writing, in your books, sort of tackled kind of a big, I guess, maybe existential or philosophical question with your sci-fi books, where that's been something that you've used to help draw readers, you know, further into the story? Hmm. Well, I, I wrote a book um, called Mask once that that was definitely theme oriented. And it was about a a future version of sort of the Pacific Northwest where you can vote on anything, including mm -hmm. people, you know, so people can get voted off the, the island, so to speak. And the main character, this guy named radio was, was the mass. So he's one of the people that pick you up if you get voted off, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I thought that was interesting, you know, and, and uh, you know, and just kind of a great way to, to sort of explore you know, how we, think about each other and, you know, who's, who or who isn't convenient or, um, worth of loving, you know? Mm. And, and, uh, so yeah. And, and, and it felt to me like a very typical science fiction theme, you know, like the kind of thing you'd, you'd see on a twilight zone or read and read Bradbury. And, <laughs> and so, so yeah, so it was kind of a fun, fun thing. So, yeah, that's cool. You mentioned the twilight zone. I just started watching the new twilight zone, uh, series, Yes, I guess it came out maybe two years ago or so. Um, Jordan Peele, I I think, is the narrator, the host, and and um, but yeah, I grew up watching this Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, all those. Yeah, I don't know. You ever watch the Outer Limits? I don't I do. know. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I, sure. I've rewatched some of those guys too in the last, like yeah. over the pandemic. I guess I've sort yeah. of been <laughs> revisiting yeah. a lot of those kind of stories. Um, so basically, I'm curious a little bit of how you kind of got into, you know, writing, moving from the technical world where you were working for years toward, um, I, I, I mean, toward more of the, well, maybe you were super creative in the tech world, yeah. you know, but, uh, but sort of toward this realm of, of telling stories. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I've always been a reader, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I don't know if you remember those scholastic book lists you used to get, you know, but I, that was like one of my favorite days where I just get to fill out. And my poor parents would have like 20 books they, they <laughs> need to buy and some, for some reason bought for me, you know, yeah, so, you know, and many of them would be speculative in nature, but not all, all of them, but I just like to read and science fiction was definitely a, a love. And, um, and so even when I was working in the tech industry and you're correct in saying that there is a, uh, there's like an art nature to programming. At mm. least it was for me, you know, I, I, for me, it was more about the creative aspect of it. You're, you're, you are sort of building your own little world, you know, and you're kind of the, you're, you're trying to make it as perfect as you can and functional. And uh, so for me, it was more of an art form than, than anything. And so, um, and in fact, there really is a lot of similarities between writing and, and coding because, you know, you're really just moving ideas around, you know, mm. and trying to get them to work in different places. And sometimes you do have to move them to a different document, you know, a different, different place, but it's all about ideas and shaping them and putting them in the right order, hmm. you know? So it's really not that big of a step, but, but even when I was coding, I always wanted to try to write someday. And I knew 
especially after having experienced it, that I wanted to, to tell the Fox software story someday for others, especially at least for my kids someday, if nothing else. <laughs> and so that was sort of my introduction into writing. And then after doing that, it's like, okay, the next high bar is to try to, to get a novel, novel published and written. And so, so it kind of went from there. And like many authors, I, I had three or four novels I wrote that no one will ever see, you know, I just, <laughs> they, were, they were like practice. And, and uh, so, so yeah, if, I mean, if nothing else, I can, I can um, be proud. At least one of them helped me win my wife because, you know, when I, we first met, I told her that I was a writer or want to be writer. And, and I gave her something of mine to write, to read. And yeah, and she, she said, well, you know, he's actually not bad. <laughs> you know, so, so hey. you know, she's, she's one of the few people that's read that, that book. It, it at least got me, got me a wife that, that loves me. So, so there you go. <laughs> Man, that's great. So yeah, I'm not, I don't think I've ever interviewed someone who um, won a spouse, not yes. one, but, but um, well, in the pathway toward, yes, it, you it, know, falling in, in love with it. Yeah. It wasn't like the only reason. Right, right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, through, through their stories. So that's kind of interesting. Now, you mentioned that you'd written um, a number of books that um, you say probably won't ever be published or see the light of day or whatever. And I do find that common with a lot of authors. They wrote stories and especially learning as they grew. What, what were a couple of the lessons you would say that you picked up writing those stories, those books that uh, haven't, haven't actually been published? Um, just the uh, technique was a lot of it, you know, and um, you know, it's so it's so amazing, you know. You can be as a reader, and and you can read these novels, novels, and and you know they just click for you as you read them. But but then going and trying to in practice do that, mm. it's a lot. There's a lot more science to it than you might might think. You know, it's like oh, he's putting beats here. You know, and oh, this is where the description goes. And and so it's a lot of there's a lot of learning curve. So I think having those those two or three books, you know, you were I was learning about how to construct dialogue and how I was how to make a compelling character and, and a compelling story. And so they were important, you know, and, and who's to say I might dig them up again and think, Hey, these aren't too bad too. <laughs> Anything's possible. So. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, uh, I was just thinking of different people that I've spoken with who have struggled with self doubt in yeah. at certain times. And so uh, recently I spoke with um, Dean Koontz, a, uh, and I mean, Dean Koontz has sold 500 million books, sure. you know, and so and he, you know, as we were chatting, he's like, yeah, one of the things I really struggle with is self-doubt. And I'm like, what? How? You've yeah. written, you know, yeah. dozens and dozens of believe, novels right? and sold. Right. He's like, no, I sit there and and so he'll go into a room where he's got different editions of his stories and he'll look around and say, oh, OK, I guess I can finish this because I've finished other ones before. And yeah. I'm thinking, what? Interesting. But it's yeah. fascinating that, you know, um, a lot of authors do struggle with this idea of self-doubt. I do sometimes, too, when I'm writing a book. I'm like, no one will like this. No one will read this. Yeah. Everyone, you know, all this yeah. stuff. Why do you think we do that? I don't know if you do that at all or if you I, kind I of, you know. absolutely do. You know? Well, and, what's going and, on with that? Why do we do that? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think the only thing. For me, is there's a I make a habit of writing and and I just take it one step at a time mm -hmm. and, and try, you know, try not to overthink it. And and I don't know if this happened to you. 
a lot of times when I think I'm dragging and this is just terrible, sometimes it, might, it turns out to be my best writing ever. I read, <laughs> read it later, you know, when I read it later. But it's, it's I don't know, you know. And I, and I know it works. I see it even working out, you know, with reviews. Like sometimes mm. you may have a hundred five-star reviews on this book, but that one-star review shows up and you'll be like, yeah, he found me out. I'm a fraud. Uh, <laughs> you know? I don't even read reviews of my books. I can't I can't put myself through that. Like yeah. because of what you just said, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> like what you just said is completely true. Like I'll read and it'll be like, I loved it. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Then all of a sudden you come to a one review or whatever that right. they hated. Oh, you've yeah, like what you said is they found me you out. Found me See, out. I'm terrible. <laughs> it's just you know, dumb. I don't know why we do that, really but is. But I think we need to focus on the, you know, the joy of the writing and and not, you know, the doubt. And so it just actually made me think of a story. I don't know if you mind just it's just like a two minute story, but um, but it just made me think of that when you were talking about those reviews and stuff. So the story's told that in India, there was this old man who would sit outside the village with a big pot with mud. And he would mix it with a giant stick and then every couple of days reach in and pull out a golden nugget. Okay. Have you heard this story? I don't know if you've heard I, I this story. I think I heard it in your class. but you I might have told it in, in yeah, a class I that did. I taught. Yeah. So, but anyway, so this young guy, watch, he's like, this is crazy. Like, I don't right. know how he does that, but I want to know the secret. So he asked the old man, what, what's the secret to the gold? Oh, it simply says, you just get a pot with some mud or water and dirt and so on. Just mix it after three days, reach and get the gold. So young guy goes out. All he can do is mix and mix. And all he can think about is the gold. He's going to can't find the gold. The three days later, same thing. Three days again, no gold. Finally, one more time. He's like, I'm going to start from scratch. So he gets pot, mud, whatever, stick, mix, 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 no gold. Finally, he goes back to the older gentleman. He says, I don't understand. I've done everything you said. Um, guy says, well, tell me what you did. All right. Goes through the steps of the mud and the stick and everything. And the old guy says, oh, well, actually, I forgot to mention one thing. That is, while you're mixing, you can't be thinking about the gold. Yeah. And it's just one of those stories where sometimes when I'm mixing my story together, when I'm writing my story, I'm thinking about the gold. Oh, that'll get published or if my agent likes it or editor likes it or readers like it, or will it win an award or will it be right. self or uh bestseller or whatever it is. But I think there is some wisdom to this idea of look, you know, enjoy uh, the process of mixing these ideas together without getting distracted about, you know, all of what might or might mm-hmm. not happen with it along the line, because you actually are stealing some joy from yourself when you do yes. that. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, and and to add to that, my my first published novel, when I was writing it, I was actually thought I was that was my last novel. Hmm. Like I, I had written a number of novels already and had tried to get them published and um you know, just you know build up build up some rejection letters and 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 I didn't want my future kids to see me just struggling with something that I was never going to accomplish. Hmm. So so I decided I was I was going to write one more book just for me, hmm. you know, and I was just going to, you know, I was just going to see where it took me. And I just had this idea of this, this future programmer and, and he's kind of living in this dystopian society and, 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 
he has a fixer robot and he's trying to talk to this robot to figure out what's wrong with it. And I thought, oh, this is in, you know, interesting. And so, and I also wanted to experiment with um, first person present tense hmm. because I'd, I'd done a, a bit of that in my, my nonfiction book and people had really liked it. Like hmm. the, the prologue was in first person present. And so, so I said, okay, I wonder if I can write a whole book that way. So that's what I did. I wrote the whole book, first person, person present and about this guy named Sandfly. And, and I got to the end of it and I was like, you know, this, you know, it's not perfect probably, but mm -hmm. it's got some pretty cool things in it. You know, it makes it unique. And, and so um, I knew of a guy who, who ran a small publishing house and he also was a former acquisitions editor. Mm. So, so for a, for a fee, he would actually read your book and look at it as an acquisitions editor and then tell you, you know, what, what you need to change and kind mm. of give you some advice. Mm. And so, so I didn't send it to him as a publisher. I just sent it to him as a, an editor you mm. know? and months went by and you know, I didn't, I didn't know kind of what was going on there. And then I got, a, I finally got an email from him and he said, I'm reading it now and I love it. He mm. said, if, if it has, you know, it's going to need a few changes, but if you, you can do those, I'll publish it myself. And so that's how my first book got published. You know? hey. It's kind of a fun, fun and, you know, blessing of a way to, to start. And so, um, so yeah, and, and it's something I go back to, you know, the idea of, you know, sometimes you just, even though you have to kind of write it for you, you know, just kind of mm -hmm. have to write, write this story and see where it goes and then hope other people enjoy it too. So now there's um, an author named Tosca Lee, who is a friend. Uh, I think you may even know Tosca as well. So, yeah, yeah. but uh, like I was interviewing her for the podcast one time, she said, write as if no one will ever read your book, which yes. I was like, well, tell me about that. Because I've always thought I want to write to satisfy my readers. Right. So right. she's like, well, it's like, you got to step out of the way, you know, like write it without fear. Because yeah. you're like, well, no one's going to read this anyway, so I might as well put in this right. or that or whatever, right. then write it that way. So right. that was an interesting uh, kind of perspective. But I like the idea of writing without, you know, all of the self-doubt, all of the fear yeah. crouching there, telling us that we're no good or whatever it might be. Yeah, um, and I think the other thing for me with that book, too, is that it allowed me to not copy what I've seen other people do, but to do something that's wholly my own, sort of mm. my kind of come up with a unique voice and, and, uh, you know, and you, I think a unique story. So it just took that co comparison away. He was like, I'm writing it for me. So who matters, you know, what matters? So now when you're building up the world for a speculative story or for a Amish vampire uh, yes. story. Yes. How do you build up believability so that when we read it, we're like, okay, this sounds a little bit outlandish or whatever, but we were like, actually, it's kind of holds together pretty well. Yeah. Like this kind of yeah. make this makes sense, you know? Yeah. How do you do that with something that is, a, I don't know if outlandish is the right term or anything. It's all but right. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit me. out there, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't offend me. I know with the Amish books is actually some research help for that mm. too, you know, but like, I, obviously I knew what the goal was. I wanted to get the Amish into space and become vampires. Well, <laughs> getting them into space, obviously had, so it had to be a future time, a time where, you know, space travel is a little more frequent and mm. less dangerous. And, and so, so, so that was a, 
that had to be there. You know, that was a given. And mm. then, um, then with the Amish, I, you know, a little research let me, me see that historically they are pretty migratory. You know, when mm. they have run into a reversely, they, then instead of fighting, obviously, or, or staying in it, they've often migrated, you know, so that's how they got to America. They were migrating away from persecution in other places. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. So if it's a future where space travel is going on, that means we probably terraformed some places, you know? Mm. And so the Amish would be the perfect people to go to a terraform planet because they don't need a lot. You know, they don't need all the modern conveniences as long as they got arable land, you know, mm. and uh, predictable weather somewhat, they're good, you know, and you can get their, their livestock there. So that's kind of the, you know, that was the framing of it. And it's like, okay, so it's a future where we're space travel and, and, we're terraforming planets and the Amish are kind of the first people to, to go and okay okay now you know from there and then you know so so then you get the scientists who are kind of dabbling in things they shouldn't be dabbling in and, and, <laughs> imagine that yeah and, and imagine that you know and uh and and so and there's this like middle ground of like uh, some of the main characters work for a future shipping company so they're they're basically the ups of the future hmm shipping things from one planet to another and they get a distress call that this Am Amish planet has something wrong with its its sun and needs to be evacuated and so mm. that's kind of how the Amish get into space and then the vampires kind of find their own way own, own way there and it, it kind of goes from there so so you know it it research definitely helps a little research and a little um trying to understand the the necessary components of the story so I think that's a good way of putting it, you know, the necessary components of the story. And, you know, as you spoke about that, you listed some of those, you know, yeah. it's going to need a certain time, a certain location, certain setting, right. And those, in those ways is yeah. it's going to need, um, you know, an authenticity to the types of characters like the Amish migratory. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. you know, and farming uh, on a terraform plant, all of that, you know, kind of makes sense. So readers would be like, okay, no, I buy it. Yeah, I can yeah. buy that. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. And then from there you go, what if, and you just kind of let the story right. fly. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, right. that's good. So yeah, congrats on that book and this, and just the publicity that that got you. And now I know that you have, I think you mentioned uh, a more recent, you know, addition to that series. You yeah. want to tell us anything about that? The one that's just uh, more recently come out. Yeah. So Amish werewolves is like kind of the capper of that, that story. Um, so the second, the second story, Amish zombies, the, the same sort of group of surviving Amish are on a different planet. You know, that was the thing. Their old planet was, was in distress. And so they had to move and, and these zombies make an appearance. And, and these are, again, these are kind of science fiction zombies. You know, there, there's a reason why they're animated and, and what's going on there. And, um, kind of through the course of that, you sort of learn, I don't want to spoil too much, but sort of learn why vampires and why zombies and, hmm. and what their, their purpose in this future universe is. And so werewolves is kind of brings that all together. And, and, um, you know, I thought having some werewolves was a cool thing too. Like, Excellent. I mean, the, the science that I set up, set up in the, in the earlier books allowed for werewolves as well as vampires. So why not make, make use of that? And again, what are those scientists really up to? What are those dabbling scientists doing? You know, so. 
Um, well, that's yeah. fun. And these, uh, these sound like great reads for the summer. And, and um, you know, people might say, I want something a little different, you know, than the typical. Yeah. And so these are great, great stories that we want people to check out. Now, would it make sense for people to start with the first one? Or could they pick up this most latest edition? And then what, which would you recommend for people? I would recommend starting with Amish vampires yeah. because some of the characters persist throughout the whole thing. So you get to see their, their growth as characters as well. So um, yeah, like the survivors, so to speak they're they make it through the whole thing. So um, yeah, definitely the first one. Well, that's great. Now um, I, w- I wanted to see if you had, you know, any, before we close up kind of any closing encouragements or thoughts for people who might be out there either writing stories or have ideas as you did, you know, and you're like, I'm going to write this yeah. book and I don't know if it'll get published, but yeah. maybe it won't. And maybe it, down the line, you know, some will, but do you have any words of either advice or encouragement for other aspiring authors? Uh, first bit of encouragement, I guess, would be to get it written, you know, make yourself a habit where you sit down and actually do the work. You know, mm. it's one thing to say, I want to do it someday. It's another thing to actually put in the footwork to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And, and that's for me, it's like a daily, you know, couple hours that I carve out and that's when I'm writing and that's when I'm going to be there and it may be a good day it may be a bad day but I'm I'm doing it mm. and you know it's like a, eventually you get to the end like a journey of a thousand you know 10,000 miles you eventually take one step and you get to the you get to the end um and then the other thing is just you know persistence you know it's it's you have to persist through it you know you have to persist through writing and persist through the editing process and and the marketing of it and and um you know it's just it, it takes a lot of gumption, you know. Mm. I mean, yeah, there occasionally there's some luck, you know. Occasionally some fortune will come your way, but but biggest part is just hanging in there. So, well, congrats on on your persistence and your hanging in there and the yeah. success that uh, your books have brought over the last few years. Now we want people to check out more information about you, about your, your stories, your books, maybe even appearances where you might, you know, be speaking or doing a book signing. Where's the best place for people to uh, find you online? Yeah, I have, my website is pretty simple. It's uh, com. So N I E T Z.com. We'll, find me and I'm, I'm on Facebook too. So yeah, that's, those are probably the best place places to find me. Excellent. And then we can find your books, you know, on maybe local bookstores can yes. order them if they don't have them on the shelf, or of course, online yeah, booksellers will have those as well. Yep. There's some bookstores and libraries, many libraries out there that have at least Amish vampires and, um, and yeah, they're all on Amazon and, and elsewhere. And elsewhere, that sounds great. So everyone, oh, 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 let me just say this. First of all, thank you for your time. And yeah, thanks for absolutely. joining me on the podcast today. I've enjoyed the conversation and sort of a fellow sci-fi fan. It's always fun to talk with. Yeah, definitely. And everyone uh, who's listening, thank you for tuning in. For more info about our other guests and to check out our other interviews, search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts each Friday evening. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.